Welcome back to my podcast. This is The Unshrew Show, my personal journal covering life lessons from an unshrewed point of view, hosted by me, Dana Jones. I feel like I'm back like I never left, but I know that it's been a while and I want to just say welcome. Um, Hopefully you guys are still here. Hopefully there's new listeners and I'm so excited because podcasting has just brought me so much joy and I want to continue to produce shows and episodes and pods (laughs) and um, keep coming back to you guys. In the time that I was away, I had a lot of time to brainstorm and think about next steps and what I want to talk to you guys about. So hopefully I make you proud. Um, I'm so thankful for the encouragement of my friends to get back going with my podcast. Um, and hopefully they're all still here with me listening. I still feel like I don't, I wouldn't say I still feel like we're all sheltering in place because I know the world has opened up a little bit now, but I definitely still feel the pain of the pandemic. I mean, we're still in the midst of it though. It feels a little bit brighter than it did. Um, last year this time or in March 2020 this time. So I'm thankful for the progress that we've made. Um, And speaking of last year, that's where I want to kind of talk about today. So last summer, I was in the midst of my final courses for my MBA program. For those that didn't know, I just graduated from University of Georgia, um, PMBA program here in Atlanta. And I finished up my courses at the end of the summer last year. So I'm done. Um, I'm like, got the frame for my degree and I'm just so excited. Um, but anyway, (laughs) to get to the point of the podcast, I took one of the best courses I ever took last summer and it was the last session of my program. And I'm so glad that I went to the last session and ended up taking this class because it was one of those classes that you just take it and everything just starts to click. And I say that because I, you know, and I've talked about this before, I work in digital marketing and as a kid, I always wanted to work in marketing, but the digital space is a new frontier. Like email marketing hasn't been around for like a hundred years. Social media definitely hasn't been around for, I don't even think 30 years. So all these things are new and they're new frontiers. And so imagine being in the workplace, working on these new mediums and all the things that you deal with as you navigate these new mediums. And so um, I know I probably talked about some different things, topics before. I talked about my work, getting stolen at work, um, you know, the cul-de-sac thing, you know, kind of going in circles with your career and all those things are prevalent too. But I think this class is the first time I was able to put coursework and psychology and different terminology in line with like exactly what I've experienced. And I actually had to write a group paper for this class and we ended up getting a hundred just because we were able to really align what's needed and what should happen with change to what needed to happen at the organization where I work. So it was a really great course and enlightening for me because I was like, gosh, this is so stressful or gosh, some of the things that happen, you know, as you're trying to move and make change in organization are, are tense. And, you know, one example of that is when a new technology is being implemented. So, and one of the jobs where I worked at previously, we were a small startup and we had an email marketing tool and we wanted to get a new one. And the new one we got, you know, I didn't really get to help select it, but I had to use it. And so just thinking about the fact that that has a psychological impact where you don't really get to pick a tool, but you're the person thrown in to use it. And so what happens when that tool doesn't work that great, which is what happened in our situation. And after a year, we had to switch to a new tool. So 
um, you know, not being a part of that process was hurtful to me. It's like, oh, I didn't really get to help or give any input on what I thought as a user would be the best option. The people that made a decision were the people that were writing the checks or my manager who was like, this is what I want to go with because uh, at the time, the tool that we selected had an office downstairs. They were also a startup. And so it was like, whenever you need help, you can just walk downstairs. And it didn't quite work that way. And so, you know, when decision makers don't have to use a the technology, they have totally different logic behind why they pick and they choose things. And so that comes into play as the user where you're just like so stressed out because the tool doesn't work as you were promised or some of the things that you were promised, like being able to go downstairs and get help. 24 seven, which is not realistic, but you know, I think when people are trying to sell you technology, they'll tell you anything. And so long story short, it just doesn't work out that way. And it's impactful to the people that have to learn how to use this new technology and then have to pivot again when you switch technologies or it's impactful when you want all of the change to be contingent on this one technology and I've written about that before where I just said like technology doesn't change the organization it doesn't make you change your viewpoints and in some ways it could be a hindrance because you're like we got to wait on this new technology to do good marketing it's like no you don't have to have this fancy schmancy tool to do good marketing uh good marketing is good marketing and uh, tools do help facilitate the the distribution of good marketing but I feel like you don't have to get to this $500,000 email marketing tool to send out the best emails in the world. You can do some great things with a smaller budget if you're creative, if you're willing to take risk and you're not afraid to fail. I think that's one at those are a couple attributes that I give to good marketing and sometimes you got to just try stuff and you got to be okay with saying like this didn't work and I'm going off in a different direction what I intended. So, I'm going to get back on topic with the um what I wanted to talk about at hand, but Change management is just one of those things that I didn't know anything about. And I'm so glad I took this course because it's totally applicable to my day-to-day job. And the other night I was up watching TV, experiencing some pandemic-related insomnia, and I stumbled on this show called This Is Pop on Netflix. And I really, really enjoyed episode one, which is about boys to men and how they came on the scene in the 90, early 90s and how they broke all these records and they did all these things. And then right in the early 2000s, these other boy groups came along um, in sync, Backstreet Boys, 98 Degrees, and they literally just emulated everything that Boys to Men did. And they had a much easier path to get in the door. So I enjoyed that one. Um, if you haven't seen it, watch it. Um, I feel like I grew up on boys to men, so it was really entertaining and then entertaining to see how things shifted when other boy bands essentially just copied what they did and they had it easier because they were straight up pop. Like they didn't have to be an R and B slash pop group. So check it out if you haven't. But what I really want to talk about today is episode two. This one really stood out to me because it was so hand in hand with two things with that change management class and with a lot of my career. And I say that just because the second episode was about T-Pain. And if you've never heard of T-Pain, he is this rapper slash singer who is a really great producer. And I say that because he's able to take auto-tune and do these really cool things with his voice. Um, I feel like his music was the soundtrack to my high school slash college summers. 
I want to say college summers more than high school, but it was a soundtrack. I mean, I remember listening to Bartender and it just was the best song. I, I just remember really liking it. There was Blame It. There's just all these songs that he's done that I'm a big fan of. And I think that he's just was really innovative right around that time. And first and foremost, this doc documentary um, gives background on how the auto-tune was started and one of the first songs, which I never put two and two together, but it talks about how Shares Believe was the first song to really use auto-tune. And people be like, what is that? Like, is that her voice? Like, what's going on there? And Believe was such a huge hit when it came out. Um, it just, it was the, it was just so great. Like, it just was different. It was Cher, you know, so everyone loved it. This dance track and... So that was kind of where auto-tune, like the first song where it came out and it was used and they had the inventor of auto-tune on there. And then he went all the way back to talk about the vocoder, which is a similar technology that was used back in the 80s for songs. So if you're curious about a song that was used in, my favorite example is Computer Love by Roger and Zab. Like I, you know, always just thought about that one and how cool it is. And I want to be your man. Like that one has it as well. But uh, anyway, so auto-tune was in, in, essentially invented to help tune or fine-tune the pitch of singers' voices if they're having maybe an off day, just to give them a little bit of edge. Um, but the way that T-Pain used it is he dials it all the way down, and the way that it was used for Shares Believe is they dial it to a certain point where it just gives a little pop to your vocals. And so um, the, the inventor was like, that's not what I invented it for. Um, and I don't remember him dismissing how T-Pain was using it, but he was like, "Like that's not what I made it for. I made it just to kind of like get you back into tune when you're out of tune as a singer. So T-Pain essentially one night sat up and he just started playing around with this and tweaking things and he made it happen and he said everyone around him was like don't do it don't do this why do you want to do this this is awful but his girlfriend I want to say at the time she was his girlfriend now she's his wife was like go for it just do it like don't let anyone discourage you from doing this so he puts it out and it's just this huge thing and I just remember his first album coming out and it being so big and like I said, I'm such a fan of T-Pain, so I was all for it. I remember just jamming to all his songs on the radio and really being into it. And shortly after he put out his song, the influence just spread rapid, rapidly. And all these songs were using his auto-tune. And not necessarily using his auto-tune, but they were like asking him to be featured on the song. Um, I remember like Chris Brown, Kiss Kiss, um, Blame It on the Alcohol, which he actually won a Grammy for, Jamie Foxx, like all these different songs where they were asking him to come on board and use it. I remember seeing his influence, like Lil Wayne did Lollipop and that has auto-tune. And then Kanye did a whole album, like 808s and Heartbreaks, which uses auto-tune as well. And it was a big thing. But one of the things that T-Pain says in the video really stood out to me in the show. And he says that being an early adopter is not always appreciated. And I don't think he used those words, but he did say being first is not always appreciated. And I use early adopters, that's what we use a lot in business, but him being the first person to do this made him a target, put a target on his back to say, you're not that cool, you ruined music, it's terrible. Even though people way before T-Pain were using it and people well after him will use it, they he modernized the way that it was done. And as people started latching onto that, there are also haters and there are also people like you ruined everything and you don't have to have talent if you use auto-tune, which I disagree with. Um, I think you do have to be really talented 
talented to know how to produce and to also be a quality singer to use it effectively. You can't just be a terrible singer. So anyway, um, he got a lot of backlash for using it. And one of the things he talks about in the in the interview that they had with him was how Usher told him he ruined music by doing auto-tune, which I think is humorous because Usher himself used auto-tune for some of his songs like ONG. And so for him to tell T-Pain that he ruined music, but then to use exactly what T-Pain does or the methods that T-Pain does is, 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 is laughable to me. Um, I think it's so funny. And the reason why it really reminded me of my career change management is because sometimes at work, I'm often pushing these ideas and people just don't get them. And it, sometimes it takes like a year for them to understand like, oh, yeah, you were right. And it's so disappointing just because it's like, yeah, I knew I was right. I've gotten all this expertise. I've learned all these things and I know something about this space. And so to have it take that amount of time to get their buy in or to get them to believe in the idea is a little hurtful. Um, it's 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 not the best feeling in the world. I mean, I'm. I think I've grown a lot as a person because I don't feel like I have to be right about everything. Um, I don't know if I ever felt that way before, but you do want to be validated in some sense. And so to take a year for people to be like, wow, I see where you're coming from. I totally get it now. Is not always the best feeling or the best reaction that you'd like to get out of things. So I, I, I can commiserate with him just because I feel that feeling like you want to be a change agent and you want to do something different and that's you and speak up and be vocal. But sometimes you're just shut down. And I feel like all he wanted to do was be himself like this really innovative, creative person. And people were like, no, you can't do that. You got to do it this way. And I don't like that kind of thing where people are trying to tell me what I got to do and who I got to be. It's like, maybe I don't want to be that. Maybe I don't want to do that. And you know, maybe you just have to keep challenging the system in order to be yourself because every all of us are not going to fit in this cookie cutter box. I don't think any of us will. So I appreciate him for doing his own thing, putting out the music that he wanted to put out and having a spouse behind him who was like, go for it. I've never been enough. She's a mixed race woman. So she talked about how she's never been black enough. She's never been white enough, how she's always just had to just fight for things and she was like I wanted him to fight for this and this is who he is and I wanted him to be that and I think that's really great to have someone in your corner who's like go for it I believe in you I don't care what anyone says and just looking back to that period in time there are just so many songs that came out that used auto-tune in the in the same type of vein that he did like uh, I remember the Sexual Seduction by Snoop Dogg came out. And like I said, Lollipop was so big. And I'm a big fan of 808s and Heartbreaks. But I definitely know, just based on what T-Pain has said, like Kanye even came to him and was critical or mean to him about using auto-tune. And then he turned around and used it himself for a whole album. So it's just it's just ironic. And it, it, it's difficult. It really does put a target on your back for, to try to do something different, to try to change things. And... You just got to keep being yourself. I think that's the best tip of all is I read this book a couple months ago and I've been telling all my friends about it because it was probably one of the best books I've read in a long time, but it's called Crucial Conversations and it talks about how you communicate when the stakes are high because I think 
on both ends of of this situation, the stakes are high. Like if you're someone who's trying something new and you want people to like it, you know, that's a crucial conversation for someone to tell you like, hey, you shouldn't do it. And I don't even think, hey, you shouldn't do it is the correct way to approach this. If you don't think that the person should move forward in that direction, there's a way to communicate that to them in a manner that's like empathetic and not hurtful. It's the best way to put it. So I think one of the biggest quotes from the Crucial Conversations book is that individuals who are most influential can get things done and at the same time build on relationships. Those are the ones who master their crucial conversation. So if you're able to, instead of what Usher said to T-Pain and being like, you totally ruined music, if there's a way that you can communicate that feeling to him in a way that's not going to like be hurtful or mean then go that route. And the book talks about ways to manage those conversations. And it's been so helpful for me just because you can, I know a lot of people say this now about choosing violence and how silence is a choice too. So the book talks about that a lot, not necessarily in that language, but it just talks about how staying silent is self-betrayal. So if you have a feedback or an opinion you'd like to give, um, not giving that feedback or opinion is self-betrayal because you're holding it in. But I also think that if you choose violence and come out in a way that is really mean and toxic, it has repercussions too because T-Pain talked about that. He talked about how when Usher told him, basically, you suck, you ruined music, he went into depression for a long time after that. And I'm sure a lot of other things triggered how he felt after that but I also feel like there was another way to come at it because he didn't ruin music he did something different and maybe we weren't quite ready for it but it it has long lasting change and has impact he's been very impactful and so to come at him and say something like that was just really way out of line (laughs) and I think that if you felt like he he ruined things or changed things and you really wanted to tell him, because I'm not even sure if you should have told him that. But anyway, if you really wanted to tell him, I think that there was a better, more constructive way to give that feedback um, than the way that it was given. And also wonder, I've been asking myself sometimes if it's even necessary to give the feedback because sometimes if you're very critical of something or you just straight up don't like it, it's not that you're choosing silence. It's that maybe you should just not say anything. Maybe it's not your place or maybe your feedback isn't crucial, like crucial conversations. (laughs) So I've learned so much from this book and it's really helped me better speak to the points that I'd like to make without Stepping on people's toes, especially in the workplace, because it's really sensitive if people's ideas are not um, the best ideas. You don't want to put them down or be really negative about their ideas. And the same way you don't want people to do that to you. So just trying to be cognizant and aware of a way to better articulate things, to better share feedback, to better be my whole self, because I think sometimes... In the workplace, it's really easy to get lost, especially if you're at a big place. Um, and Sometimes even at a small place, you can feel a little put down or shut out of the major conversations. But I think if you go about them in a way that's really strategic and intentional, that helps a lot. One of my friends was telling me that she felt like I'm really good at waiting for a conversation. And she feels like that's one of my best qualities. And I'm like, girl, if you only knew this has been a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. I think we all are. But I know it's better for me to kind of strategize 
some of the hard conversations versus trying to like call the person now get it resolved and, and talk it out that might not be the best thing to go about so I'm good at kind of taking a pause especially good at not putting it all in writing because sometimes electronically or handwritten doesn't come across as well as just a genuine conversation and listening to someone's side of things comes across so I highly, highly recommend that book. I highly, highly recommend the show. This is Pop on Netflix. If you guys watch it, let me know what you think. And I'm so happy to be back. I can't wait to get more into some of the episodes I have planned in the next couple weeks. And if you guys check out the book or the show, like I said, let me know what you think about it. I am blogging at thegreatnittaj.com. My podcast, The Untrue Show, is available on iTunes and Spotify. And you can email me at thegreatdanaj at gmail.com. And I'm on social media as thegreatdanaj too. If you want to follow me there, I'm not going to lie. I have been a little bit in hibernation <laughs> on the social sites in the pandemic, but I'm, I'm rethinking how I'm going to get out of that soon just because I miss being social and I miss sharing things and I miss being a little bit more open. Uh, and I think the world is getting back to a place where it wants to do that. And I want to be more into that space as I was before. So see you on those social platforms soon. And thanks so much for listening. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.